What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. And this week, I have an interesting conversation with a return guest. And this guest came on to the podcast way, way back, the very, very beginning of the of this show. And it was episode 19 when I invited David Jelly of Property Bridges to come on and talk about his, which was at the time a new peer-to-peer lending platform. Now, three and a half years or thereabouts has passed and now we are talking to David Jelly again today but rather than it being a bit of a startup we now have a conversation with somebody who has 7,000 lenders on his platform and has loaned out over 40 million to Irish house builders and property investors so I think it's going to be a very relevant conversation And before I introduce David, I just want to announce a very exciting collaboration I'm doing with David. And what we're going to have is my usual mastermind in-person event, which I uh, which is exclusively for mastermind um, members. I'm actually going to open it up for the third. The first Saturday of February is the third of February. And we're going to do a funding workshop with David on how to get funded through Property Bridges. And so I think this will be a valuable day to come along as a non-member of the Mastermind. I don't do this typically, but it's just that I do think that this is a valuable thing and there will be people listening in that may find a great deal of value in this. So I'm going to put a link down below if you would like to book a place. There's only going to be 20 of them being given away I have to keep space for my members my existing members and so they get first priority but I'm going to make 20 spaces available to anyone out there who's listening who would be interested in attending it's not free Um, I'm going to have to charge because the mastermind members have paid for their place there and so that's one of the reasons why we're doing this but I do think anyone who's getting into house building or property investment development refurb anything like that this will be a great masterclass from david on how to get funding through his platform property bridges so without further ado let's get into a conversation on how to go about all of that with david jelly of property bridges david jelly welcome to the podcast hi gavin thanks for having me David, this is the second time you have been on the podcast and we were just chatting there before we hit record and it does seem that it you were on episode 19 and we're now at episode 190 something. So it's way, way back in like August or something in 2020. And uh, so that's like plus three years. So it's been quite a, quite a time frame since we chatted last. And I kind of thought... Um, you know, you and I, we talked about your business, Property Bridges. We talk, talked about, you know, the formation of it. And we talked about, you know, your journey to you know, setting up the business and all that. Today, I think what's going to be really helpful for the audience is going to be getting into how, uh, you know, how they might use Property Bridges as some sort of a financing vehicle in order to help them pull projects together in the Irish property market. 
And, um, you know, but why, why don't we kick off with that? Why don't you just give like a description of your business and the kind of clients you're looking for and what kind of size projects you finance? Yeah. Um, thanks again, Gavin. And um, congratulations on, um, you know, your your podcast and how far you've got. Um, August 2020, I think we're in just at the trying to get the grips with COVID when we last when we last spoke. Um, so I'm not sure how much your lenders know about property bridges. So I'll give a quick overview of property bridges and then we can maybe get into a potential borrower and what what sort of information we would need from a borrower to, to get funding. So uh, Property Bridges is a peer-to-peer -peer lender in the Irish market. So we would fund um, small to medium-sized property developers, so property investors, property developers. Um, we would provide bridging and development finance um, to those. So we have an online platform that, that's now fully regulated with the Central Bank of Ireland. And we have 7,000 lenders. So most of those lenders are RSPS lenders and um, that can invest in our platform anywhere from 500 euro to 100,000 euro per, per tranche. Um, they come from all, all walks of life. Um, but we're, we're really trying to connect um, domestic funding sources in Ireland to, to local projects and local SME home builders quality home builders with um with a good track record uh, because essentially that there's a fund there's still a funding gap in the market banks still aren't comfortable lending um to sme property developers and home builders that's a good description uh, david and like you mentioned property investors and property developers and home builders and stuff like how would you say this what's the split of the projects that you fund typically like is it somebody like you know like ourselves that would buy a site and build you know in this case i'm i'm you know we're doing this podcast for my new home and this is a scheme of 54 units would mm -hmm. that be one of that would probably be a bit on the large side or would that be a normal size for you guys yeah 54 units is certainly in the large size for for peer-to-peer -peer, the peer-to-peer -peer platform yeah we do, we do have a credit line with a swedish bank so the way property bridges would operate is anything from half a million to three million, we would look to fund that on the peer-to-peer -peer platform. And anything from three million to ten million, we would look to um, fund that with our partners, RS Capital. Bank. Right. Okay, I get you. Yeah. And in terms of the, you know, the the different projects, uh, you know, development is obviously it's it's quite a specialized area because you're getting into you know building something from scratch. What kind of investors would you be dealing with? It, it would be people doing, you know, B or 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 where you're kind of refurbishing, renovating the house, or is it? Are you looking at larger schemes, or or what are you looking at, kind of? Well, we get all types of proposals um, of property bridges. Um, like we've, you know, over the last five years, we've seen an awful lot. I guess our typical. Um, typical deal that would be kind of really fit into what we'd like to see is it's a, a development between you know five and, and 15 units of of new built homes okay, um, new build, so yeah. exactly what you said the developer would either purchase the site or come to us for some site finance and then would require um, us to provide the the whip the development finance until completion, 
but we have done um we've provided refurb finance so okay. we we provided finance for a project um just off on Bachelor's Walk, just beside O'Connell Bridge, um, yeah. where the property investor would have bought the property, would have got planning in the property to convert it to apartments, and then would have converted the property to apartments, and then and then refinanced us on the other end. Right. Um, so they so, bring in then a like a pillar bank, one of the one of the bigger banks, to kind of replace your funding, but they never would have touched the project at the beginning. No, the banks would never touch the project because it's. Um, I mean, it it needs refurb before yeah. um, it's it's um, before the banks will consider. It yeah. needs income stabilization, basically. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And so quite you often, to... um, you know, quite often for those projects, yeah, if if the developer has a relationship with the bank, they can get a refinance with the bank. But there's also you know other alternative lenders in in, in that space. So I'm sure you're familiar with Finance Ireland, Capital Flow, um, and there's a few others in that space that, that also provide that type of finance. Yeah, yeah. And tell me, I mean, in terms of the typical deal structure, is it pretty much alongside what you would see in the in the normal banks? Is it like, you know, senior debt kind of type of thing? Or is it a, a is your arrangement any different? We're very similar to what a bank would provide um although the the LTVs and LTCs might might be different um and I think as well the banks just aren't interested in operating in in the the volumes that we operate in so sub three million um I'm not sure if the banks really have an appetite um the banks um I don't want to speak out of turn but typically the reason why someone would go to an alternative lender, as opposed to the banks would be um they might need they might need um additional funding or or further leverage so alternative lenders typically would go to higher ltv and ltc than the banks i get you right and okay. so if you don't if you don't if you don't have a incredibly strong record and if you don't have a large amount of equity um you might find yourself in a position where the, the banks just don't have an appetite for it and and then you'll be you'll be coming to someone like yourselves interesting yeah and i, I mean i just actually I, I was just thinking as you were saying a couple of those terms there may be people listening to the podcast who aren't familiar with the with the uh, terminology that you're using so ltv loan to value ltc loan to cost loan, loan to cost. cost and whip is obviously work in progress yeah, yeah. Correct. I just want that just in case people are kind of wondering oh, what, what's he talking about. And so in terms of the steps, like how when somebody is thinking uh, like somebody will see a project, will say there's an opportunity and they see it and they kind of go, oh, geez, I'd love to do that. You know, uh, what what kind of time frame can you turn the thing around in? Because sometimes people are, you know, looking at a project that they have to buy secure. Obviously, they've got to kind of get you know, their, their funding in place before they can go ahead. How fast can you turn it around typically? So from term sheet to drawdown, you're looking at between four to six weeks. Right. And um, the, the length of, of that process is going to come down to the flow of information between between both sides and, and the speed of the solicitors on both sides. So whenever um, a term sheet is accepted from us, we would then switch into due diligence mode. So we would instruct our valuation partners 
we'd instruct our quantity surveyors and we'd instruct our solicitors. Right. And then from from that stage onwards, um, there's a huge amount of back and forth between between all parties. And then when everything's in place, um, and, we, and the security's in place, then, um, we can draw it out at, at that stage. But the due diligence process is is robust. Um, and it's you know there it are, has to be of it has to be robust. You're a peer to peer lend. Your your partners yeah. there that are kind of waiting in the wings. They're not going to be too happy if if you haven't done your homework and the project falls over. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a set process. Um, it usually takes between four to six weeks and depending on the project, there's, there's a number of, um, number of parties involved. If it's a bridging loan and there's no development, um, you know, there, there might not be a need for a QS, uh, but certainly for all our loans, we need valuation and, and, um, the, the legal, legal work. And tell me this, I mean, I'm just thinking about deals that I've done in the last couple of years with them. When it comes to development, sometimes you'll be buying a site and, you know, four to six weeks, there's no way you'll have planning in that time period. Mm -hmm. So how do you typically go about, do you do you base it on any assumptions or does is it all based on the actual value? And then if there's an uplift after planning, that's a different deal. Yeah, we, we, uh, a lot of lenders won't won't um, won't lend if there's no planning in place. Yeah, um, it's very difficult to get um, to get funding if there's no planning in place. We have lent on occasion on um, on a couple of um, sites that um, where the intention is to get planning. Right, but um, uh, typically if we lend on that, there is a it could be a a property that the developer is purchasing that they're looking to demolish and build maybe four houses when they get planning, for example. So we, on that particular example, we could only land on what the current value, value of the property is. So we're not taking into consideration any, any uplift value because the way the planning process is at the minute, yeah, uh, could take forever. It's just, it's just too, too risky. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, in terms of the different hurdles that I've seen myself and you're kind of thinking you're like you'll, you have to bring in sometimes you'll have to bring in a partner to help you acquire the site. Um, and then, you know, the planning process that you have to go through appointing the architect and whatever in order to get you to that point. And maybe that's the way if, you know, if people are short of the of the funding but then at least the work you know the work in progress funding for the construction and whatever that's where you guys could come in yeah and at that stage of the process i would definitely recommend an equity partner as opposed to debt because if you're taking a high level debt at that point in the process um you know th that debt counter is always clicking so if, if the planning is delayed for whatever reason you know, the, the debt's going to continue to accrue. Whereas if you have an, an equity partner in there with you and they're going to get like part of the uplift, if if the planning's delayed for whatever reason, um, th they can live with that lip a little bit better. So I, I, at that stage with a risk involved, it's definitely better to get an equity partner if if you can source one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's people out there with an appetite for it. It's just really does the person who wants to do the deal with you do they have you know a reputation you know have they been around long enough that people are not worried about this person do you know what i mean yeah i've seen that before where 
you know, there's people that they're a little bit green and they don't really know what they're doing and they're, you know, out there kind of looking for partners and stuff. And that's, you know, potentially problematic. You really do need to know what you're doing if you're getting into the development side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like a, a lot of people that come to us would have, would have a track record or, you know, there the would be in a trade um, where they, they would have an extensive experience in a trade and um, you know, they're, they're, they're starting off on their own to do a, a refurb and then potentially getting into, into new builds. But there's so much regulation in the space now, and, and rightly so, that it's very difficult for for a novice to get in, and in particular into in, into new builds. Um, like refurb still takes a lot of knowledge, and there can be a lot of you know, whenever you if you're trying to get into the space and you see um you know a building that you think you can do a, a refurb job on and, and and flip it at the end, um. There, there could be a lot of problems in existing buildings, as you well know. Yeah. At least, at least with new builds, as a funder, if, if we uh, if there's a green field and we have a trusted borrower, uh, there's flood conditions. Um, you know the the risk is um is, is sometimes quantifiable, but when you're getting into an old building, um, sometimes you don't know what you're going to find. Quite often, that it, it can be it can be riskier. Um, yeah. I've 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 had very unusual situations with old buildings, where you take down a piece of plasterboard, and it's filled. I actually had a situation where it was filled with milk bottle tops, uh, thousands and thousands of milk bottle tops, and it's like we were trying to figure out like what on earth, and we 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 figured the guy thought it was some form of insulation basically <laughs> but like very old school uh like but i, I like this guy must have drank like you know a hundred thousand bottles of milk in order to have that many milk bottle tops it was the most bizarre find ever um but that's the kind of thing you're talking about like you don't know and then you could take down a piece of plasterboard and find like this huge structural crack running up through the building and like you can't just put the plasterboard back and ignore yeah, it you, you don't know and um you know there's a lot of vacant buildings around the city and and sometimes you walk past and you think to yourself you know why is that sitting there vacant but you know when you, when you get into it and and you understand it and you might do a full survey on the property um and as well as that there's a lot of fire safety regulation as well yeah um, yeah like the one of the projects we lent on um the, there was an additional requirement for a for a full fire safety system in the building, which cost uh, a huge amount of money, a huge amount of money. So a lot of those buildings in the city centre, they're not referred because it's too difficult to, to make them fire compliant. Yeah, I can I can attest to that because I owned a an old period house on the canal um, on Herb, Herbert Place, it was called. And I mean, beautiful old, you know, Georgian house built in the, I think it was built in the 1840s or something like that. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to turn it into uh, like a home on the uh, ground, on the basement level, but then I'm going to turn it into offices up above. And so I'm going to have like a, a pad in the center of town that I can have for myself. And then the offices above, you know, and I thought this sounded like a perfect way to restore the building, make it really beautiful, all that. And then you start getting into the 
actual fire cert and the first mm -hmm. of all there was the heritage requirements like yeah. you have to get the archaeology on the building done and that, that required a report done and they go into the history of the building and they make sure that there's nothing in it that needs to be listed and all and after that then which is kind of ridiculous is the fire people come in and they go oh yeah all that listed stuff that doesn't matter a damn you're going to have to put like a protected corridor here and you're going to yeah. have to put a landing with a door on it here and I can remember at the end of it all, just thinking, what a complete waste of time. Like, I, I'm not going to do anything with this place and I'm just going to rent it out as like a pre-63. And so it, it really does. It, it can be very dip, difficult to get it to work, you know, um, like you said. Yeah. And, and that's what like the the people that, that that may be looking to get into this space need to they need to consider that sometimes it may look like a great investment on paper but you just need to make sure you've considered all the different scenarios and you've assessed it and you've got the right people in to assess the building um, yeah if you and ignorance is not is no defense when you get it wrong in these things yeah uh, actually, on that point, I wanted to get into the um, you mentioned you you work with valuers. Mm. Um, that's that's something that has come up lately um, through my kind of social media feed. I've had people asking me questions about if you there's a there's a there's a whole sort of work project sort of opportunity out there at the moment. And people are taking a large old house and turning it into a HMO. And yeah. so you'll have like a four bedroom house or a five bedroom house and you can, you know, legitimately turn it into like a seven or an eight bedroom HMO. And like, and if it's done professionally, some of the guys that are on my coaching program, they're very professional the way they approach it. They'll put in two kitchens almost, you know, it's, it's like basically double everything. And uh, they'll put in uh, two cookers, two uh, ovens, They'll put in two uh, dishwashers, two washing machines, you know, so that there's a duplication yeah. of everything. And they'll have every room will be en suite. So it's a very nice environment to kind of live in. And if you've got eight or nine people, it doesn't actually feel like it's crowded, you know. Yeah. Um, but the problem that they have is when they want to get it valued, they might have doubled the income of the property, you know, and and they have a very, very good investment that's producing a really, really solid return. Mm. But when they go to get it valued, along comes a kind of old school valuer and looks at it and goes, yeah, that's just a four, you know, four bedroom house. They, they don't see all the added stuff that you put into it. I'm yeah, curious I, how you guys yeah. are dealing with that kind of stuff. We haven't seen any of those investments, to be honest. Uh, it it sounds, sounds interesting. Sounds, uh, it sounds like a, a bit like a, Pre sixty three, and in terms of, I'd like to understand what planning is required to convert kind of a large house into separate units. But if there's planning in place and those units are separated professionally and they're bringing a an additional income, that should reflect in the in the valuation. I'd be surprised if it if it if it wasn't reflected. Yeah, I mean, I, I know one that one of the guys that's doing it, he's really he, he's really refined the process down, like yeah. where every room is separately heated by the central heating and everything. So it's very, very refined. But and and I think, you know, potentially the house could be pulling in six or seven thousand a month, you know. And yeah. uh, so it's 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 earning more than double the value of the house on the market as a family home. Yeah, but it's obviously not worth twice 
the value of the house. It's you know a four hundred thousand yeah. house doesn't become an eight hundred thousand value house, but it definitely is worth more than the average house on the street. We'll say, yeah, if it's if it's been carved out into separate units and it's legitimate and there's planning for it, and if the next buyer that comes along can continue to run it as it is, um, and everything's above board. The valuation should be reflected, I, I would assume. Now, if it's a case where he squeezed people in when he shouldn't have. Or, of course. Yeah, yeah. Or, well, that, that's a different story, of course. Yeah. yeah. But the reason I'm saying that is that most of the time, the, what they want to do is they want to uh, they want to get the project done and then they want to refinance it and they want to keep it because like that yeah. extra income is obviously very valuable to them. And, so, and then it's to go and do the next project. So you want to extract... You know, you were mentioning LTVs. Like, what mm -hmm. kind of loan to value is your is your limit uh, in working with investors and stuff? We would typically go up to seventy percent loan to value. Uh, so we would assess the project. So on an acquisition, we would go up to a max of seventy percent. But then, typically, when we're getting valuation for like a, a new build property or or even a refurb, we would get an as is valuation and a completed valuation so the metrics that we would set and the loan facility we would set would be di dictated by a combination of the loan value and loan to cost so if we can see that there is going to be enhanced value on completion then we can lend up to that enhanced value right i get you but there always has to be borrowers skin in the game we would never we had never get into something if um if the borrower wasn't didn't have significant um yeah. skin in the game. That's yeah. you know rule, rule number one of lending essentially. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we'd have to go in like our the borrower and the the lender has to be aligned, and um, so that that means we both have to have appropriate skin in the game, and we both have have to be to be making appropriate returns from the from the project as well. And on that, let's talk about the returns. I mean, you're lending and you're borrowing uh, essentially in through your platform. So somebody comes along like me and says, okay, I want to build 15 houses. Um, I need to come up with 70% of the site purchase value, presumably. Um, but you need to come up with 70%. I'll come up with 30% of it. Is that right? Yeah, so the maximum we would land on a site would be 70%. Um, but then we would need to analyze it as a full project. So we could only ever go up to 80% loan to cost over the full project. So we're not going to land 70 on the site. If and then you more on the construction. Yeah. A, a huge amount of whip. So the equity it would have to be a minimum of 20% hard equity in there for the duration of the project. Yeah, so you're so that would if you just for the people listening, that would mean that you're taking your site purchase, uh, whatever the purchase of the property is, plus whatever construction that you need, whatever you know amount yeah. you need to cover the construction, the maximum that you're going to land is eighty percent of all of that combined. Of everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, quite, yeah. I mean, quite often a developer might come to us with an un unencumbered site, so they have put all their equity into the site. And we might give 100% of the whip. Yeah, yeah. Because there's 50-50 really, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. I get you. That's interesting, yeah. It's um, coming up with all of the... And then, what's the cost? I mean, 
if I'm borrowing from you, I mean, I know, you know, the ECB is lending out the banks at four percent now or whatever it is. Like, what what is the what is the kind of rate that you expect people to to pay? And then what is if if you if I was putting money into somebody else, what would what kind of return would I hope to get? Yeah. So the our projects at the moment are off. Bring a nine percent per annum, per annum return. Nine percent. Nine percent. So that's nine percent fixed return to to investors. So there's no fees deducted from that. Um, we will pay out nine percent per annum. In terms of the borrowing rate, it's slightly different because in our space there's arrangement fees. There's interest charged on drawn funds. Yeah. And then there's ex fees, and then there's also fees for third parties. So valuation, quantity surveyor, solicitor fees will all be paid for by the borrower. Gotcha. Yeah. And then on, on a monthly basis, we would if if there's multiple drawdowns, we would also we would always send in the monitoring surveyor to to verify if the money's been spent and to verify the drawdown. So it's a, it's slightly slightly different in how the, the borrower is charged. But yeah. it is going to be it is going to be a derivative of the arrival rate. So all lenders, like banks, alternative lenders, will charge a set margin over Euribor. Yeah, Euribor, as you say, is three point nine, three point nine three at the minute. So there's no getting around it. Rates have increased over the last eighteen months for across the board, whether you're lending from a bank or alternative lender. The, the rate has gone up by about 3.9% across the board. Yeah. And I mean, if you were to, it's obviously from the person who's listening, who's kind of saying, well, that doesn't answer the question for me. Like, so somebody who's put money into the project is going to get 9% return. Obviously you've got to make some money on top of that. So would you say, would would 11% say when you add, when you tot it all up, it's probably going to be in that kind of ballpark or is it? Yeah, it's, it's going to be in that ballpark. No, it depends. It depends on the project. It depends on the equity that the, the borrower is putting in. Depends if there's a social housing exit, Um, but it's going to be in around that ballpark. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I know like the, the way I look at it is that you go into the banks and they take six months to say, oh, sorry, actually, we've decided against it. Whereas four to six weeks, you can you can be off and running, uh, you know, subject to paying 11 percent or thereabouts. It, you know, the project should make sufficient profit that that can actually be tolerated, you know. Yeah, and we'll we'll typically turn a term sheet around it in a week. If we have all the information to hand, we'll turn a term sheet around and whenever we issue a term sheet, you know, we don't always complete because something might come up in the due diligence process that that's different from what's been presented to us. But if we have issue a term sheet, there's a very good chance that we're going to complete on the loan. So, you, you know, you don't need to wait six weeks. If we give you a term sheet, which we can provide in, let's say a week, then you know, it's a good chance we're going to complete on it. So just subject to everything checking out as, as was presented. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And the from the point of view of how your business has grown since we spoke three years ago, like you were really, you had only really just set up and you were kind of in the very early stages. 
where are you now, like in terms of your market in Ireland and things like that, you know? Yeah, so we've grown, we've grown a lot, um, thankfully. So we've, you know, we there's been a lot of headwinds over the last few years. Um, you know, as yeah. I said, the last time we spoke was COVID. the start of COVID. We've had the Ukraine war. We've had massive inflation. Um, now we've had, we've had rising interest rates, but thankfully the Irish property market's been extremely robust in the face of all those 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 headwinds. Um, so we've we we've had a very good track record. So we we've had one default in in five years, and with that default, we've recovered ninety one percent of the capital. So we've had about sixty loans, um, and and one default. That's pretty um, good. Yeah. We've now got seven thousand lenders. We've lent over forty million to to Irish home builders, and we're now regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Um, and we're looking to we're looking to grow further. We think it's a win win for Irish people to be funding Irish homes. Uh, the banks are, you know, play a big role in, in funding larger developments. You know, the government are getting like more involved in, and more active in, in trying to fund home building. But there's a huge reliance on, on international capital. And, and no one's really looking at, well, how can we fund this domestically? Like there's over 150 billion euros sitting in people's deposit accounts yeah if we could just incentivize a small proportion of people to invest in in local property loans that are offering a good return and are fully secured against against the property we think is a win-win because a lot of those those foreign investors which which we need and we need to encourage those foreign investors to to invest in ireland but that capital is very mobile yeah. If they decide that they're getting better returns in another market or, you know, there's political instability or, you know, the Irish economy takes a hit, that can leave. Also, the returns from the international capital is often repatriated back to the original country. Whereas, you know, if we if we can incentivize domestic investors in Irish projects, well, all, all that, yeah. you know, that, that money is going to be reinvested back back into the local economy so like, we think it's a it's a win-win like, we're effectively just trying to match local investors with with local home builders and that, that that's it in a nutshell really that's brilliant and in terms of growing your your market like once again who are you looking to hear from local house builders good reputation yeah, lo- local home builders, SME home builders that are looking to borrow anything up to, to 10 million. That sounds... Um, in, in, in all parts of the country, um, good track record. Um, you know, they have to provide the, their own, you know, a portion of their own equity. Um, but that's, you know, that that's it. And, and on the investor side, you know, I, I kind of built the business with... It's a, it is an online business, like first and foremost. Um, so we built it with really good functionality, like a fancy dashboard. I was kind of building it for someone like my myself. I'm I'm forty now, but w- what we find is most of our investors are typically um, a bit older. So typically, people in their in their fifties, sixties that that want a solid return. Um, like we're not getting. Kind of the twenty-year-old, thirty-year-old looking 
you know, for, for massive returns where we're really looking for, you know, most of our investors are risk averse and they like investing in us because we have security behind it. Yeah. So anytime we lend, we take first charge security over the property. And I think that's, that's what people like. And people like the, the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's a good, good return for the level of risk that you're taking. Sounds good. David, um, I'm thinking, I'm just watching the clock there. I'm thinking that um, somebody might want to reach out and learn more about property bridges and maybe kind of get a, a bit of a flavor for how they could take a deal forward. You and I are going to do a workshop on Saturday, the 3rd of February. And so anyone who's listening, who's interested in that, I'll put a link down in the show notes below. But besides that workshop that we're going to run, how would people reach out and find more about this? So you can log on to our website, www.propertybridges.com, um, or you can reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. But all the information is on the website. You can sign up in a matter of minutes, or you can just go onto the homepage. You can look at what we do on the homepage. You can read about our stats, um, read all about us. Um, and yeah, that's that's it. Brilliant. All right, David, best of luck with everything and uh, look forward to seeing you on the 3rd of February. Great. Thanks, Gavin. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with David Jelly. I've rushed this one out primarily because the 3rd of February is very close and uh, I didn't want to leave it any longer for people to get an opportunity to book the date into their diary and to, if you are interested, go and click the link below and book your place for that event. I expect they will sell out quick, quite quickly, given the fact there's only going to be 20 of them. Um, and so if you are going to be there, you'll get to meet all of the uh, members of the mastermind who are coming along. They obviously can attend for free. And uh, we do four of, or we do three of these events a year. And um, apart from that, we do the kind of the weekly call that I have with my coaching clients and my mastermind clients. So, guys, I hope you're going to find this one useful. Um, I hope you find the event worthy and uh, that one that you'd be like to come along. And uh, I'd like to meet some of you guys if you're listening in and you're interested in doing that. So until further ado, I shall speak to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the Join My Tribe thing over on the right-hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode. Oh,